0: You're listening to the 8020 show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome everybody to the 8020 show. I'm your host Mike Zimmerman, and my next guest is Carly Danger, co-founder of the music blog Yab Yum. We had such a great chat of how she got into journalism and how it led her to developing a defining publication for local and independent music. In addition, we talk a lot about how to submit for music publications such as Yum. It is my pleasure to give you Carly Danger. Hey Carly, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well, how are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic, thanks for asking. How's, uh, how's everything been going? Just uh, for context, everybody, we are still in the middle of the pandemic right now when this episode's recorded, so are you being safe at home right now?
1: Of course, I'm locked away, bunker in the desert.
0: And are you, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Like, are you feeling like, are you happy being at home or are you like getting super antsy about getting back out again?
1: It's very strange. So, like, I always considered myself an extreme introvert. Um, but apparently, I do maintain some very strong connections with people because now that they've been kind of put on hold or cut off temporarily. I find that, uh, it's a lonely place to be very much cut off from the rest of the world. So I miss, I miss not only uh, family and friends that I'm close with, but also the interactions of running into the larger community, uh, you know, the music community here where you, you run into people at shows, you run into people in different places and, uh, strange. I thought I didn't like any of you, and it turns out I actually missed so very many of you in the public sphere.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Is is that, um, is that one of the reasons why that you got into writing about music and artists was because uh, you wanted to have a closer connection?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. I always think of writing as like a very removed thing, like an observational standpoint, like you're not involved with what's happening you're just kind of watching what's happening so for and i don't know i know a lot of readers just feel differently i know a lot of writers feel the same but so it's very sort of mixed bag but uh for me writing was always very solitary
0: so is it more of a more of a passive where you're able to convey your information without necessarily getting like an exchange Is your way of an outlet if you will for yourself
1: yeah you know i always you know like wanted to be uh find a better person than bukowski at the back of the bar um you know like a curmudgeon with like a cigarette in one hand and a drink in the other just like writing down things but you know i don't drink anymore and i can't smoke anymore so i guess we only have i I can drink coffee
0: well, you know, fortunately that I think that's a necessary, <laughs> I think that's a requirement when you're getting into the music industry is must like coffee or, or some equivalent because yeah, it's, you're either you're up early in the morning doing, you know, some, a lot of us have day jobs, uh, or we're just needing to catch up from the previous day. And then especially when there were shows, then we're going to shows in the evening time. Cause that's our way to network and check out other bands and hang out with friends and things like that too. And then it's, in the following day it's rinse and repeat.
1: Right. Right.
0: So how'd you, how'd you get into uh, writing about music?
1: Okay. So that is, that goes way back. So um, I'd always uh, loved writing. Um, I always wrote uh, stories and different things. Um, Not so much for journalism. I, I got really into photography when I was in high school, though, and I ended up building a photo lab in my garage, uh, which was, you know, a lot of fun as a teenager because it was so ramshackle. Um, But then I started photographing local bands because I was really into music. I was really into, like, punk music in the valley and, uh, you know, seeing shows, uh, you know, at the Nile or different places or the Mason Jar and... You know, so I'd go to shows a lot and take my camera. And, you know, I started meeting bands and going to take pictures of them. But um, there were some, like, zines and different things. Or, But nobody would publish my pictures without an article. And so, um, you know, I had this band that I wanted to run pictures of. And so they said if I wrote an article, they would, you know, this local zine would run the, the pictures of it. And so I wrote an article about the band and um, it was funny to me because I always loved music. It was such a big part of my life, but I wasn't a musician and I didn't consider myself, you know, like record store material. Like I, I couldn't work at a record store. Like I, I knew the bands that I liked and the music that I liked, but as far as like, who was the drummer on this album and what other bands did they played with? It was totally beyond me or, you know, it just, I came at it from the position of a fan and not a connoisseur. So I didn't see myself as a sort of a critic. Um, But then I found out to be a music writer, you just had to like music and be able to write. And so I kind of fell into it from the side.
0: Essentially you, you, you combine two of your passions together. That's what it sounds like. Your passion for writing, as well as photography, and then found you were able to combine them by writing about music that you like.
1: Right, and then ironically, it turns out I was not very good at photography. Okay. And so, <laughs> when I became a news editor um, for a college paper and would work with laying out photographs for a page, I always realized mine were lesser than all the other photographers and I was like, I'm just going to focus on writing.
0: Wow. That that's, that takes a lot to admit something like that because you know, all of us, we, we have these creative outlets that we like to explore for ourselves. And we have all these different types of interests, but we have to sometimes be brutally honest about ourselves, about where our level is at for our, our skills. I mean, I'm a musician myself, but I would never consider myself a remotely professional. I like to joke that I can probably hold my own. If you like force me up on stage, I like I'll somehow figure it out. I won't be good, but I'll get by. But nowhere near professional musician level. And I mean, I've been a musician for almost all my life, but I would never had that that talent to really go above the fold to that next level.
1: It's hard to be a critic and make your own art because I know that I'm. Uh, i like i like to say i'm a critical person other people like to say i'm a hyper critical person um, it, but it's but especially when it comes to my own things
0: yeah i don't i i'm the same way i sometimes i over criticize myself i think it's very easy to do something along those lines is to you know sometimes you're being way too nitpicky and then that's why i need some external feedback to say okay is this really you know, is this really good? Is this t- awful? Like am I, you know, am I being too hard on myself or am I thinking that I'm way better than I'm than I'm really are? Like what you know, where where do I stand? And I, I'd rather know, honestly, I'd rather not get not have somebody blow sm- smoke up. I want to know, is this like is this good? I want people to be straight with me. I'd rather know where I stand on things, you know what I mean? At least for yeah. myself.
1: I know same here, but even when somebody's like, no, this is good. I have a really hard time taking that in. So, you know, I, <laughs> I the only thing I can compare it to is, uh, you know, I write fiction and, um, right now I'm working with a publisher, uh, <laughs> and, and, um, they've had to like physically take the novel. Like you can't make any more, just it's good. It take, they have to take it from me because I'm like, no, 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 it's just, it's not ready, it's not done, it's, I need to do more, It's, I need more, it's not good yet, and they're just like, no, no, like, relinquish the book to us, like, give it, give it back, and I'm like, Ugh. so I have a really hard time with that, so I, I don't know how all these musicians do it, because they will just, they will just make music, and just throw it out there, they'll, like, play songs that are, Still in the process of being created on a stage in front of a large group of people gives me anxiety.
0: Do, do you find yourself a perfectionist? Do you consider yourself a perfectionist?
1: No, that's the irony. I do not consider. I'm, I'm all like, let's just let's do our best and get it out there. Uh, but it's not like it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be in progress. I just feel like I don't know. Like it should be the best you can do at that moment and understanding that it is a transitional piece but at the same time i'm always like you know what this should be just a little bit better when it comes to my own work
0: i completely understand that i feel the exact same way i like to uh, sometimes i get uh called out on overthinking things but the way i look at it (laughs) is it's not overthinking i liked to be extremely detailed in what I do because I care about what I create but the same token too I also know when it's time to get something out the door and saying okay planets are aligning everything is set you know it may not be the most perfect thing but let's just get it out the door let's see what happens let's see if people actually are really liking this or not is this really making a difference? And if it is, if it's doing what we were hoping it would do, then, okay, let's start perfecting it more and more as we go along the way. But you're right. It's like you don't know until you actually get it out there. It, you know, it, you know, do people enjoy it? Are you getting the whatever that goal is for creating that thing? Are you accomplishing that goal, even if it's not fully, but at least are you getting there, you know?
1: Right. And it's all about what you prioritize. Like all you have to do is talk to Mark Oxborough from the Haymarket Squares and he will tell you we are in no way perfectionists because of our copy editing skills at Yabian. But, you know, it's about pursuing a goal, <laughs> ever striving to meet a goal, not necessarily arriving at the pursuit of.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So let's... um. Fast forward a little bit then, so you've now been writing for a couple of papers, you've um, now really find your passion into writing about music that you enjoy. Uh, How did that lead you into Yab Um,
1: yeah, so I had uh, written about music for a long time when I was younger and I lived here um, in high school and in college. Um... And then I, I moved away for a while to uh, the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area. And while I was out there, I worked for different types of publications. Um, uh, I was a managing editor of um, um, the academic journal of my grad, you know, my graduate school program. I helped out with a poetry journal. Um, just did some things like that. Uh, wrote some, you know. Academic type things, articles and stuff. Um, but when I came back after graduate school and came back to the valley, you know, I had been kind of in this uh, art scene in the Bay that was very vibrant. There was always crazy music happening everywhere, and like not just shows and national touring acts, but the local bands there were crazy because, you know, people live there. were cra- You know, I'd go see uh, Ben Chasney from Six Organs of Admittance play at the record store just randomly, you know, a few times a year because he just lived there. So he'd just go play at a record store when he was doing something or, you know, you just see or, or the, uh, you know, Anacon was very active there. It was just a crazy place to live and there was all this poetry and all these art shows and it was just a really great place um, to be at that time and when I came back here uh, there was a bit of a culture shock um, and i I really felt with a city this size and the phoenix being as weird as it is the desert being as weird as it is there has to be artists here doing really interesting things like it just has to be that i don't know about them like so i just had to find them and so i just started like going around to different places that i used to you know and then connecting with some artists that i used to know some of the early issues of yeah because we used to do a monthly You know, there was a lot of, like, Tempe Rock that we were covering. And then I started connecting with, like, some of the Phoenix artists here. You know, River Jones music label was, you know, kind of getting active. And Trunk Space and all of that started making those connections and finding out about more music, uh, finding out more about artists, and finding out that there really was a lot of things happening here. There just wasn't maybe a lot of ways to find out about it you know there's there's of course some publications here of phoenix new times things like that but even with the phoenix notes new times they only had especially at that time with how prevalent print was you know they only have so much publication space that they can they can give to local artists and it seemed like there was a lot more happening here that could use attention and um maybe if There was more connectivity between these different things going on we could sort of foster a larger art community because phoenix really is a huge metropolitan area and you're including the suburbs you start connecting those different areas there's a lot happening here and a lot more could be happening here that's Mm -hmm. kind of what sort of led into it that and you know i was just out of grad school finished a job and was trying to figure out what I was going to do in terms of writing to keep the the pen, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand. And you're right. It's one of the things that I I love about Phoenix is that it has such an amazing art culture and it really needed uh, the help from others. So I felt strongly about, it's not, it's not about the lack of culture here. I think we have so much culture, even back then, because I know you were talking about some of the things that you're referring to, uh, you know, about trunk space and River Jones, things like that. That's right around the time that Eight Twenty Records was, was formed, was right around that time frame. So I I know what the culture was like then. I know what the culture is like now. And it definitely goes through these different fluctuations as far as the style of music and where the culture is being cultivated. That that changes all over the the city which is fantastic and i really felt strongly that we needed to have as a community more support for that so whether that's coming from publications or radio or record labels management across the board because without that structure it becomes very challenging for those artists to be able to get their craft to be known outside of the phoenix area definitely now I have to, I have to ask this question. Where did the uh, yabyum come from?
1: Oh yes. So uh, so so um, so I studied philosophy and religion, and uh, especially as an undergraduate, a lot of my studies were in the development of Buddhism in America which had come a lot through the beat generation, like Alan Watts to the beat generation. And uh, and so, um, you know, I studied a lot about sort of Jack Kerouac, Alan Ginsberg, kind of how that was presented to, you know, the uh, general American populace. And um, one of the things that I thought really funny was the way sort of those traditions from the East kind of get transmogrified to the West and, um, you know, the, the the things that kind of get changed or left out. Anyway, but long story short, um, Yabhyam is a term from Vajrayana Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism that means mother-father and it is also sort of a way of spontaneous enlightenment sometimes achieved through sexual means, um, but it's a very esoteric practice. But um, by a, by a group that generally abstains from sex in order to, you know, on the path to enlightenment. But Jack Kerouac used to use it to get girls into bed. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> so wow. uh, when I first started, Yabium, you know, it was probably like on a bar stool at Yucca. And I was like, you know what I should do is just start my own things as I'd done, uh, you know, I'd worked with a to get an online, to get a website for the Poetry Journal. I'd I'd kind of experimented with some blogs, you know, trying to get things for other publications. So I was like, yeah, we should just start a music thing and I'll call it Yabium. Our first photographer uh, did an image search to see if his images came up when you searched Yabium and uh, he found out it is also a sexual position. That was funny. Uh, finding out it is a brothel in Amsterdam. Also funny. Um, and then, uh, when my mother decided to get us a personalized plate and then did not. And then I said, you know, this is a sexual position when she handed it to me and to watch her 65 year old face sort of crumble was, uh, (laughs) those are all good moments in this, in this whole Yabium run for me. So think about me.
0: And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and how long ago is that? When, when did, when did, I guess let's put it this way. When was the first article ever published for Yevyum? Do you remember that?
1: June,
0: June 1st, 2009. June 1st, 2009. Wow. Yeah. So you've been at this for over 11 years now. Yes. That's incredible. Well, congratulations for that. Cause that's, that's definitely, especially for uh for a music blog, that's a major feat as you know, a lot of them, they may go for maybe a couple of years here and there and so forth. And, you know, things change, life change, changes happen, things like that happen. And it's really hard to keep something like that going. So kudos to you for making it last as long as it has so far.
1: It's gone through some changes, that's for sure. We try to remain adaptable.
0: So uh, speaking of changes then, I mean, you... Now I mean obviously you're not the only one who now runs it you have a, a st- essentially a staff of writers or you have other writers that help with the publication correct how how many like how many people do you have writing for Yum right now
1: Um we do have co- occasionally contributing writers I would say uh, Mark and I do the bulk of uh the of Yab-Yum. um I would say that uh, you know, we do have people that contribute to us on occasion, like Logan, uh, Lowry Rasmussen, and uh, uh, Jacob Unterainer. And um, yeah, so they they will occasionally contribute articles, but on the day-to-day, Mark and I are still producing the
0: majority of the content. That's incredible. And I think that's some, something very important for people to understand, so especially for artists when they're reaching out, realizing that almost all of it is between the two of you running this. And I can only imagine the number of submissions and emails that you receive on a daily basis for coverage.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's actually a good thing. So our acceptance rate has year by year gone down just because the number of submissions have gone up and up. And it's hard to make artists understand that because it seems like like right now, our submissions rate is under three and a half percent, our acceptance rate is under three and a half percent. Wow. And so, you know, um, but we do, you know, we have Garrett Bowers who does our radio show now. He, um, he was helping produce. And then when uh, the pandemic happened and we had to change operation, he moved it to his house, which we hoped as soon as we can move it back to Phoenix Center for the Arts, Anna and Bonnie will be rejoining him. Um, but he'll be remaining the executive producer of that show because he's done uh, such tremendous work with it. But, but we are a very small team, but we do get so many submissions that um, we do have to kind of be very extra choosy and it's hard. That's hard.
0: It is, it is really hard. And, you know, it it, kind of feel a little bit bad about, you know, at least, you know, I do when we, you know, especially when artists submit to us that, I try as hard as I can to respond to every single person, but sometimes it's, it's challenging to do that because it's like, you know, it's trying to you know drink from a fire hose at some points where you just, it's just too much coming in and you have other responsibilities because you have, you know, I, I know you have other, you know, that yab yab is not necessarily your full-time gig. So you have other responsibilities as well as, you know, responsibilities for yab yab itself as far as, you know, you have to actually write articles. It's not just about reading every single email, listening to the music, you actually have to go ahead and write and, and publish and post and do all the administrative work that goes behind the scenes. So it, it's, it's a lot that, that you have to deal with and it, it becomes very easy to overlook emails. It becomes very easy to, for, you know, somebody to message you, it gets buried very, very quickly in the inbox.
1: Yeah. Well, we, we have moved away from email submission. We had to do that this year. Um, it just became there became too many problems that arose from email submissions so now when you go to our site you find out how to submit to that direct email submissions are not an option there have been certain artists that we've worked with over the years or labels that we've worked with over the years um that uh we continue to work with because we have an established relationship and they're very aware of best practices and uh what basic rules are when you're working with a with a blog or a publication, so we don't have to worry about making sure we're safeguarded or that we're going to have issues after something goes to print. Um, But other than that, we, we use a submission manager because it became too much of a, too time consuming, too much of a liability to not do that.
0: I completely understand. So, can you elaborate more on best practices? Because I feel that that's something extremely important for both artists as well as representation to know when reaching out, whether it's through a submission manager or you know direct email or whatever the case is.
1: I would love to. Um, <laughs> Figured you would. It's first of all the biggest thing is know the publication that you're submitting to. It's really easy to glean information about a blog from either a submission manager by just pulling a name or from a list like on Hype Machine or from a blog list of like these are good bloggers or uh, you get a name because they cover a friend's band but you don't actually know what they do and so you don't set appropriate expectations um a lot of blogs do have information available about what their turnaround time is what their expectations are you know like for example you cannot email us directly to get on our spotify playlist can't help it you can't do it we make that very clear this is just one example of a myriad but you cannot email us to get on our spotify playlist you have to be featured on our blog or our radio show or you have to be an artist previously featured we make that very clear. But we get so many artists that are like, yo, drop us on your Spotify playlist. And it's just a, it's just a dismissal, you know, because we, in order to be, anyway, just one example. Um, other people will message us about doing premieres in the same week. We work a minimum of two weeks in advance. Sometimes we can work something in earlier, but it means something else fell through. But we do not set up premieres for the same week. Uh, It's a waste of time for both the artists, it's a waste of time for us. Uh, Sometimes it's a waste of money if they're using a submit hub manager or some other submission manager website. Um, If people read our thing, they know that we prefer submissions that are unpaid because we don't leave feedback. That is time-consuming for us, Um, so we prefer that people do not send monetized submissions. Although we, you know, we we do have somebody, uh, you know, we do have a PA helping us with certain things for Yab Yum now because we had so much. We have other bis- you you know, other jobs, other businesses that we manage. So, you know, it became too much with all of the tasks. So, you know, we do have assistance on that level. But, um, other best practices. I really get focused on that know your blog thing, and then I talk, tend to fall into a pit there. Um, Other things are uh, making sure you know that you have promo photos and what that word means. Like if you have a promo photo, if that photo needs to be credited, include it. Blogs will ask, but sometimes blogs will forget to ask. If the photo, you know, a lot of blogs will adjust the images to fit size parameters, especially for featured images or certain things like that. If that image can't be, you know, can't be adjusted, can't be included, if there's an original artist for that image, that needs to be included, the blog needs to be made aware, that is not actually a promotional image. That is an image for the artist. And you can't just send it off willy-nilly if it can't be, you know, reprinted. So.
0: That's extremely important. Uh, a lot of times it gets overlooked from artists about when you were working with a photographer, it's very important to understand what the usage is going to be for those images. Because just because they took an image of you, doesn't necessarily, you don't own that image. The photographer still owes, owns that image, even if you paid them. By default, that is true. With It's just like if you wrote music, right? And then you go ahead and you know, had a record label. I mean, obviously it depends upon the arrangement, which is why you have to understand the arrangement. But by default, you own that work unless stated otherwise. If you were the one who wrote the music, you wrote the melodies, lyrics, whatever the case is, you own that 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 work by copyright. You own it. It's unless it's stated otherwise. And the same thing is true with photography. It's the same exact thing. It's If, if they took a picture of you, they own that image outright. Unless stated otherwise, so that's very, very important to understand. It's very important to make sure that you have the right permissions to be able to use it. And of course, photographers always either require it or are definitely appreciate the fact that you you credit them when you use your image, their image, especially when it comes to publications.
1: Right. Uh, those are all very important things. Um, finding out what a publication is going to do in terms of copyright if they not just publications. Instagram influencers are doing this now. YouTube curators are doing this now. They will request permission to monetize content. And if you give that permission, you need to make sure that you're maintaining rights yourself or knowing that you're giving them away for exposure. Because we don't do that at YabYum. When we initially established YabYum, it was something that I was aware of. And so we only embed content because it leaves control with the artist. So if we post a video and then that artist gets signed to a label and they want all their previous content removed, they can remove that content and link those dead on our site. But if it's something where you're working directly with a blog, they want to premiere, they want to upload or, you know, the, the original content to their site that could very much change that conversation. Those are all things that need to be known when you're working with publications because even blogs are publications. They don't remove old content, and if they're legitimate. If it's a legitimate publication, they're not gonna remove old content. You can't change your image and then go back and ask them to remove stuff. You know, you can't, if you're in a conversation with them, there's no off the record, you know, we're, we're flexible about those things because we uh, like to give underrepresented artists exposure. So bands that are starting out, bands that maybe haven't had a lot of interview experience, um, who haven't been featured by the press before. So we give a little flexibility. We try to understand maybe they didn't mean certain things in a certain way when they said certain things. You know, there's a a little space to move around in, but, you got to watch those
0: things. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, it's very important that you make sure that when you're being interviewed, that that communication is coming across c- clearly. So you want to make sure that you, you don't want to be, you know, uh, honest, but at the same token, too, you want to make sure that whatever it is that you want to convey it, you know, is thought through, essentially. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. And remembering there's no such thing as bad press. Well, I don't know
0: about that. I mean, <laughs> lately. <laughs> okay. I don't know.
1: That's true. I forget. There's a whole different context here. I mean, when someone is reviewing your music.
0: Yes. We'll we'll, and we'll they put into don't that.
1: Like your music. Let me tell you, as somebody who's been managing a blog for this long, nothing gets bounce numbers like a bad review. If you have a good review and everybody's like, oh, this song is great. I love it. I love it. People are gonna listen to it. If you say this song is terrible, this band is terrible, I don't know why anybody listens to it. Ten times more people are going to listen to that song. Just saying. Yeah. So if ever ever you need to not feel bad about a bad review, think about that.
0: 10 it's times true. More
1: people are gonna listen to it to be like these people don't know what they're talking about.
0: All right, because people like conflict. I mean, we that's you know, as, as human beings, we thrive on conflict. So somebody's saying, you know, especially if you're hearing all the time, the song is good, the song's good, the song is good. And then all of a sudden there's something comes out that says, this song is terrible. You're right. That's something that people are going to recognize and going, is it really that bad? Is it, is it, you know, how bad really is it? And then they're going, like you said, they're going to go ahead and listen to it. And then they're going to make their own decision anyway.
1: Right. We, we tend to focus on the music that we like these days. We tried, we tried doing the harsh review thing and people took it badly. The only one who was really classy about it was Chelsea from four, First great gay Jesus, formerly of very Bones. Mm-hmm. He was super fancy about it, which we
0: expected. But she's good about those kind of things. Yeah. She's
1: like, whatever. That was weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, she she's very she's very brutally honest about her own music, and that's the one thing I respect about her is that she she reflects back and saying, yeah, that was awesome, or yeah, that was just whatever. that was just awful.
1: It was, it was a good album. It was one person's opinion. Yep. I think you gave it an
0: award that year too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> like
1: whatever. Music reviewers, if you, if music reviewers, it's just one person's opinion.
0: Right. And that's the thing. Is it's, it's a very subjective thing. And, right. you know, that's the thing. It's like people are not going to always like your music. And ironically, I think Chelsea even said this best is that Uh, you know, it's like, you want to have people that not, not like your music. Cause if you're, if everybody likes your music, then you're not really doing it. You're not pushing the envelope. You're not doing anything different. You're not, you're not pushing yourself. So if, if everyone just agrees with you, then what are you truly saying at that point? If everyone just agrees with whatever you're doing,
1: we always tell folks that we know to accept, uh, what critics say with a outward thank you and an inward fuck you.
0: Wow. Yeah. I like that. Yeah.
1: And I say that as a critic, I say, thank you to my faith and in your head, go fuck you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very true. So I would uh, like to move on for a second and um, talk about uh, when, when you were accepting emails, were there any things that you found that were like, like huge mistakes and maybe even through the submission manager now, like, is there anything that are like the glaringly common mistakes that musicians and representation, I'm going to cl- include both because I know that sometimes representation makes these mistakes too, that uh, they do when reaching out to you. Okay. Let's start
1: with representation first. Okay. Okay. Cause reps usually know what they're doing. So, you know, you can get as formulaic as you want with this stuff. Um, the important things are in- to include blocks of language. Now I like when people get personal about it and include like, look, like this song is about, you know, I like when people include more information these days. You don't have to, you don't have to, but like, uh, this song is about a horse that I owned when I was seven and it got sent to a glue factory. I mean, whatever, whatever the personal narrative behind it, if you want to correlate it, fine. If it's not a song with a message, if it's just like, um, you know, this is a song I wrote while I was, you know, taking a bath. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. It could just be like, this is the second single from my fifth album. Um, it, something something to that effect, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can include information like, uh, this is um, a num- one of the singles I'm releasing this year. Uh, this is from my forthcoming album. Anything that you feel would be pertinent to be included so that new people encountering music for the first time kind of draw more information from you. You don't, and if you don't feel that way, you just want them to hear this one song, that's fine too. We're not too particular, but I know important information is good to include, especially if you're trying to connect bands to a body of work and not an individual track. But with reps, the biggest thing that we encounter is the copy, paste, mistake like we have accidentally copy and pasted the wrong social media links for this band because we just did this other band or we copy and pasted the information from the wrong song into this form letter we are making for this song because it's a whole day event it's uh we're going to we're going to pitch this band and then we're going to pitch this band and so it's good to know who your label is or know who your PR rep is and make sure they're not making mistakes. Now, I know when I managed a I made a very silly error and messed up a phone number on something that went out to places that were booking. And I just made fun of somebody on online this week for messing up a phone number. So no one's above it, but, uh, you know, you want to make sure you're working with somebody reliable and you maybe want to check their work and make sure the links actually work and the music that they're including is your music Um, and uh, making sure that the information is applicable. I mean, it's good to have a pitch. It's good to have a shorter pitch and a longer one, but uh, basically what it comes down to for us, at least is the music itself. So everything else is kind of secondary.
0: Now it's funny you mentioned that because as representation, I mean, we, you know, we do our best to make sure that we don't make those mistakes. And i, I over the years, I think we've made that kind of mistake only a handful of times at most for all the submissions that we've done over the years, very few. And the main reason why is because we do, double check and triple check before we send out emails. And yeah, we do, you know, we do template a lot of it, um, just because it it ends up being the same one way or another and you want to make sure you're not forgetting anything. So what we do is we, we, we allow a certain amount of customization (coughs) to making sure that we, you know, we do our due diligence. We do our homework to making sure that we are reaching out to the right publications. You know, we're not sending an alternative band to a metal publication, You know, we're not going to wait. We're not going to waste their time. But at the same token, for the for the uh, press that we are reaching out to, for the most part, the message is going to be the same, except for a few variations. So we do have it templated and this (laughs) makes sure that so we try to make it like very obvious which fields need to be, you know, which areas need to be changed so that it's specific to that publication or specific to that artist. But then, you know, obviously mistakes do happen, but we do double check and at least triple check when we can to making sure that everything looks right before it gets sent out. And if it does, usually if I, you know, especially if I catch it, um, I will respond back to that person before they respond back to me going, oops, yeah, obviously this is the template, you know, the drill, blah, blah, blah. And like, uh, we'll make fun of ourselves about it because most of the time, most publications will know that's what's going on. So, you know, we'll have fun. We'll have fun, some fun with it and joke about it and being like, yeah, sorry, we made a mistake there. Obviously <laughs> this is what happened.
1: And that goes back to knowing the blog too. Like you can see like a blog like ours that, that's going to get hundreds of submissions a week, we don't care if it's templated. We just want to hear the song. We don't care, we don't care at all. Uh, we're so inundated with music, we just want to hear the music and then everything else is secondary. Yep. Um, but some blogs, if you look at their, and some blogs you'll look at it and they'll be like, we do not accept B- BCC submissions. Meaning if you're gonna mass email a group of publications, they're gonna automatically delete it because they know that it's not going specifically to them. You're not interested in their blog. You're interested in mass emails. You know, people will get very specific. Um, so, uh, you know, ours will say things like uh, no covers, no, uh, you know, no overly, no commercial music. You know, we have, we have all these stipulations there. Um, because if we're covering cover songs, we're only covering local artists. We will find them organically. We do not want them sent to us. You know, there's all these different things, um, but know the block. That's a big one. Really
0: yeah, helps. and it is it is quite challenging because unless you're NPR, you it, it is it takes a lot of time to to vet even even and I mean I got pretty good about this. I'm this is one things so I'll definitely gloat to myself about is that I got to the point where within a minute I can figure out all that information about a publication. Yeah. I can go on there. I can see, okay. a is this, you know, do they have a recent article published? Recent meaning within the last at least two to three months. Okay. Yes, they do. Two, what kind of music do they listen to? Look at, do I recognize any of the artists that they have covered here? Do they reference anywhere about the genres that they cover? Okay, cool. Uh, Yes. It covers one of our artists. Great. How do we contact them? Okay. Go over here. How do they want to be contacted? Okay. They use submit hub or they use, they do accept emails, but you have to do these things in the email to do it. These are the type of things that they accept. Okay, cool. All right. Now I know exactly what I can do, but if you're reaching out, so that, that takes anywhere between one to three minutes and then to also grab that information, right. And, and to be able to catalog it. well. If you want to now reach out to several hundred or several thousand publications, because you're right, it's like because a lot of publications have low acceptance rates, it becomes sometimes it comes a numbers game. The more that you reach out to, the greater the chance you're going to get covered. Well, that now adds that time adds up. You're not talking about, you know, hours upon hours upon hours of work and you have to update it, too, because you do one today in a month from now, that publication might not even be there anymore, or they decided to change up how they do things. So it becomes a lot of work. So it, it's a, it's definitely, I feel on, at least from a representation standpoint, it definitely feels like a balancing act where we don't want to, to mass, e- you know, we try to avoid mass emailing as much as possible, but the same token too, we realize that we, we don't have that kind of resource to do all that legwork for you know for getting um publications for our artists so we find like uh, we try to to balance it whereas it's, it's partly we do our due diligence ahead of time and then if there's already publications where we have relationships with we'll reach out to them directly and then for the ones we don't have relationship with yet yet we are depending upon how they want to be approached we either will do it directly or we'll, we'll include them in the in um some sort of templated email that gets sent out and then if they don't like that that's totally cool They always have the option of of opting out from that. Or if they do end up covering, then we'll start building a relationship with that person a little bit further.
1: Right, exactly. That's the whole thing. You have to build it slowly over time. It's just one of those. It's part of the process, though. And I call it shopping an album after, you know, you have to build the press list for it. Yep. And it's like, but... uh, being a teenager in the 90s, going into the late 90s where people would have to like find what colleges were in each town and then find out if they had a press and then email, like mail them an album like on CD or like a burn CD. Uh, you know, you, it was arduous in a different way, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, this. Pro, now it's a struggle because everybody's so inundated, but um, but it is a very time-consuming process. You are correct in that.
0: So are there any mistakes that artists then make? Because you mentioned about representation. So what are the common mistakes yes. that artists make?
1: Artists do not understand the process of publication in that uh, we find it very frustrating when, <laughs> when artists start making unrealistic demands. Like, um, like the, um, when are you getting this up? Because I would like to see it on Tuesday or, uh, you know, the insisting on a timeline is a big thing, not understanding that as a publication, we have our own timeline and it might not fit with your timeline.
0: What is generally your, your timeline or what's, what's the average for most publications?
1: Uh, it, you know, it varies place to place. Like a lot of, uh, a lot of bloggers that we know will like to sing, they'll just turn it around and uh, you know, it might be a really short window. Uh, when a like Yabium, where we try and tie it into Spotify playlists, shows, other things that we're doing, we have all our articles ready to go for the following week on Thursday. And then we can lay out our social media for the following week. So. If you get us music in at the, you know, it's generally not going to run for two to four weeks. Um, so if you're getting us something in, you know, it has to come in early. We have to set things up. If you get us an album and <laughs> you only get us a few tracks that we can hear, we can't review it until we hear the whole thing. So you can't be like, well, here's a few tracks. I'd love to get something going before the release. Great. Great. When can we hear the rest of this? That's surprisingly been an issue. Generally, that is with artists that are above the age of 30, maybe over 35. But, you know, and, a, and I'm definitely above 35 here, so I get it, but, um, but that's been a funny one. You know, there's just some, I would say, unrealistic expectations Especially, I would say, when you're dealing with a local publication, we've always had a regional focus. We tend to get more of that from local artists than from national artists. National artists tend to be more understanding, whereas local artists will be like, you know, I've I got this new thing coming up. When can you get something up about it? And we'll be like, uh, I don't know. Why don't you send it to us and we'll see what fits our schedule. It's just, it's a difficult process and not to be so uh, uppity about the whole thing, but I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of music that's coming in and uh, the amount of work that goes into turning that around into a publication nor the amount of artists that we have to turn away that warrant coverage. It's true.
0: And I try to make sure that artists understand that, and one of the things that I always say, especially when it comes to publications, is that you have to, when you're reaching out to them, they're they're helping you out. They're supporting you if they're going to end up covering you. So you have to make sure that you understand what they have to do on their end, and you have to respect their time. And I am a very big believer in this, is that you want to respect their time because it takes time for them to read your email, to listen to your music, to decide if it's going to be a good fit or not, figure out how to put it into the schedule, then write the, actually write the article, and then publish it. It takes a lot of work. So I always tell artists, you have to be appreciative and respectful for their time. And one of the ways that uh, I always go about doing this is making sure, and I, you know, we've had these conversations a lot of, what are you looking for? What kind of information do you need? What kind of, you know, how do you want it to be delivered to you? Because the way I see it is that my job, and this is true, both representation and artists, our jobs is to make your job as easy as possible. So if we are giving you the information that you need in the way that you're looking for, and this way it makes it easier for you so that you don't have to bounce back email saying, oh, well, send us the rest of the album when it's done, or can you send, you know, send us this type of a link so that we can actually listen to the music or what kind of genre are you? Cause you don't say what your genre is, or how do we even reach out to you? Do you have images? We can use like all these things. If you are just l- delivering it to, to you ahead of time saying, here, here's, here's the music, super easy to listen to it. Here you go and this is the you know this is the main information about it. You can find out more here, or if you need more, just let us know here, but here's the images, here's everything. And let me tell you, it's actually not that difficult. I mean, once you think it through, you can set up a Dropbox link, you can set up a Google Drive link. Those things are very easy to do and very simple to send across. We even use SoundCloud, we just make them private, it's free to do, and then just go ahead and send SoundCloud links so that if they don't wanna download MP3 files, then they can just go ahead and stream it and just listen to it that way. And I find that, you know, as long as you're thinking about those things and, and we're constantly changing too on how we approach publications. Because we're constantly learning about what you know what is at least the the, the least common denominator on what press looks for. So um,
1: yeah. A lot a lot has to do by publication. Social media links is a big one for us so that we can find out more information about, about a band uh, because we have a regional focus too if we're deciding between a couple of tracks. Um, I'm not going to lie, if one of them comes from Austin and one of them comes from Australia, and we love we love some Australian music. They're doing some really great things down there. But, But if we're deciding between two and it's a pretty big toss-up, we'll choose one that's more in the neighborhood. So different, different things. It's good to have more information than less.
0: I would have to agree with that. Um, so, okay. So we're going to move on a little bit here. And I one of the things that I've noticed that YabYab has been doing lately, and I've been uh, a victim of this, is the qu- uh, quarantine questionnaires which um, have been sent out to not only myself, but to a number of artists as well um, during this time of just seeing what everyone's up to. So I cherry picked a couple of these questions and now I'm going to turn the tables and send them your way. So we'll go through these pretty quick. So uh, first one, what was your favorite show that you have attended?
1: My favorite show that I've attended. (sighs) Gosh, now I have like questions on the questions. I wonder what people want to think about that. Um,
0: you can't do that. This is, this is the I questionnaire don't... that you sent down to the artist. So that's the only question you get.
1: But I give them time to think about it, Mike. They have like <laughs> as much time as they want. That's <laughs> the best show I attended.
0: How about local in the past year? I'll, <laughs> I'll make it more specific for you.
1: Well, okay, well, then this is going to sound super shady, but it was the best show that I went to last year. Um, when we had the launch for Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula, um, we had, I got to pick the bands and so it was like, uh, some really great performers. It was the Echo Bombs and JJCNV and Dada Doe and the POC and the show was amazing and, uh, so many wonderful people came out and, uh, I drank, which I never do, but I promised I would for this, which, only, which I hadn't done in like a year or two at least. Uh, and um, it was just such a tremendously good time with some tremendously wonderful people. And the music was amazing and it was great to see uh, all those wonderful people gathered in one place. having. A
0: really good time you know it's a it's amazing because as somebody who's also hosted a number of shows i find that the ones that you are invested into because it's so close to where you were the one who put on the event (laughs) i those like as long as everything goes smoothly which you know like never happens but you know as long as it goes smoothly enough those end up being your favorite shows i mean the guilty pleasure show is one of my favorite shows every single year that we do and it's because you know, we put our heart and soul into it because we, we love music so much. And so it, it's our baby. It's like, we, we helped put this whole thing together. So I feel like we get end up having a more personal connection with those kinds of, kind of events. Hey,
1: that totally makes sense to me. But like I said, attention alarms me. So generally I do not like the experience of putting on a show. It causes too much anxiety. Uh, but this felt very, um, you know, like a friendly space there were there were a lot of uh and usually it's always a friendly space because phoenix everybody in phoenix knows everybody it feels like but um it just felt like a special show the especially with the bands and people dressed up in space clothes and
0: yeah that's amazing
1: yeah so i didn't freak out which is a big deal for me at a show good yeah
0: uh what What are you currently listening to while you're stuck at home?
1: Gosh, these questions are hard. We're jerks. We have terrible questions.
0: See, this is what happens.
1: Uh, You know, Mark's been making these playlists for yab Yum. And uh, it's, it's really funny because I go through and I listen, you know, when I write about these songs, I listen to them a ton, like a weird amount. And then I kind of don't listen to them because I'm writing about new songs. And so he's been putting together these playlists and it's kind of like listening to all these songs I loved and then haven't heard, even though I just heard them like a month and a half ago. It's really funny. So I've been listening to those. I've been um, listening to this band called, is it? it's called like, like, I think it's pronounced Squirrel. It's spelled like squirrel. There might be some vowels missing. It's kind of like a... Um, who worked on the Only Lovers Left Alive soundtrack, kind of like some instrumental, like acid guitar stuff. And, um, uh, we've been listening to Bella Ganas a lot, which is a nice act from here. And, uh, gosh, this is why we give people time.
0: Well, you're not getting time on this one. So, uh, we're going to go to the next question. Uh, I'm, I'm being, I'm actually also being a little bit easy on you. I'm, I'm eliminating a bunch of these questions that might be a little bit harder. Well, what are you currently, uh, binge watching or reading right now?
1: Um, we've been super into Star Trek, the new Star Trek. Uh,
0: Uh, is it discovery or Picard?
1: So we finished Picard, and now we're doing Discovery.
0: Okay, I haven't I haven't watched any Discovery yet, but I did go through Picard.
1: Yeah, so we're loving that. We did a, a short treks, which uh, Jason Woodbury suggested on Twitter. So we did that.
0: Is that is that any good? Is that worth watching? I mean, I'm big. I'm a big Trekkie fan.
1: I'll basically watch anything that Star Trek affiliated. I guess I should admit that that's fair
0: hey I I, I I like Enterprise I'm one of those few people that actually enjoys Enterprise
1: I have not entered into it but I, I'm thinking about it you uh, have to
0: it's, it's definitely one of those you have to get through the first two seasons and before they get good. I'm just giving you a heads up but season three is fantastic and season four because they knew it was going to get cancelled has all the best it's like you have four or five season finales all in one season so it's it makes it pretty cool because of that reason but yeah, the first the first two seasons can be a little can be a little rough. I it's like TNG, like the first like some people liked season 2. I kind of like season 2, season 1. That's that's a that's a tough one to get through.
1: I did I did grow up on that, so it has a special place in my heart. Same here. Um yeah, we did we did binge all of Community and uh we've been um into the New Perry Mason. Uh so that's pretty much we've been doing a lot of you know work like writing and making art and things like that so being productive reading. yeah we're always reading
0: so a so. uh, final question for you if you could facetime or zoom anyone in the world for an extended conversation who would it be
1: you right here right now mike that's
0: oh that's one. a cop out but i'll take it <laughs> That's a total cop-out, but okay, I appreciate that.
1: Um, You know, I've been super anxious about a lot of things, and I've been watching a lot of interviews with Cornel West to calm me down. (laughs) He's always been a personal favorite of mine. Um, Even though I'm uh, not of the same faith, uh, I think he has some uh, very good insights on the human condition and so uh I don't know if I'd I would FaceTime him just to hear him talk but basically YouTube gives me a similar experience sometimes just hearing interviews so um that would be great I could definitely see that um being a big one if it would be anybody living or dead it would definitely be Marguerite Dura or Shirley Jackson, though, because they're my two favorite writers. So, but if it was living, it would be Cornell with us. If it was dead, it would probably be Marguerite or Shirley Jackson. Wow. Because I like creepy, mean women writers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, speaking of uh, that note, um, I really do appreciate your time, Carly, for um, chatting with us. I hope uh, everyone listening takes a little bit, has a little bit more insight as far as what it takes to run a publication. And uh, I will have to say personally how much I appreciate what both you and Mark have done with Abion because like we were talking about before, not just about the Arizona community, but just the music community in general, we need people like yourself that are, that love music so much and want to write about it and get that word out there. Because without people like yourself who, you know, you know drive away at this you know it makes it a lot more challenging for us to be able to get that word out there and you give you give our artists a credibility you give our artists a voice and uh for that i'm we're all very forever grateful so thank you
1: well thank you so much for having me here hopefully i was somewhat cogent in the conversation
0: oh you are there were a lot of good tidbits in there so thank you so much carly
1: yes thanks for having me mike
0: Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. To learn more about 8020 records, you can check us out on pretty much any social media at 8020records or visit our website at www.8020records.com. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.